the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Portions of the Arthur Idala Power Hour, sponsored by Bay Ridge Honda. It's Arthur Idala on AM 970. The answer. This is the Arthur Idala Power Hour with quintessential New Yorker attorney Arthur Idala, New York's go to lawyer. He's here to share his stories from in the courtroom and around the city with interviews from high profile guests and everyday folks calling in to talk about everything from politics, lifestyle, health and wellness, and more. And now, your host, making the case for the city he loves, attorney Arthur Idala. All right, folks, hold on to your seat because we have a dynamic guest here with us today. You know, we have a lot of great guests, but Tom Swazi is someone who knows how to handle a microphone. In fact, he took the microphone out of the microphone holder and he's holding it in his own hands. <laughs> Tom Swazi is as someone who anybody who's been around New York City, New York State politics for any uh, short amount of or long amount of time would know the Swazi name. It's kind of a historical name in the state of New York going back generations. And right here with me is the former congressman, let's see, the former county executive, the former mayor. Am I missing anything, Congressman Swanson? Trained as a lawyer and a CPA. Yeah, well, I'm, yeah, actually, I want to start at that. What, what did you do first, the CPA or the lawyer? CPA with uh, Arthur Anderson and Company for two years. With, with, with your training? Yeah. So you went to college? Went to college, worked for Arthur Anderson and Company, two years. I was a CPA. Then I went to law school at Fordham. Then I uh, clerked for the chief judge of the Eastern District of New York. Oh, you did? Yeah. Who's that? Judge Platt. Really? Yeah. Oh, okay. The only reason why I'm... He's like a hanging is, judge. <laughs> so, and, no, anyone who does what I do, which is, you know, I'm in those federal court courthouses and courtrooms all the time, that's not an easy... That is not an easy uh, position to no, get it. It's a yeah. very, very prestigious... Yeah, it was a I big deal. I don't think I ever knew that about... Yeah, it is yeah. a big deal. Let's go off on a tangent. Then I work, for, then I work for Sherman and Sterling. Wait, state... Well, that's another big deal. But l let's talk about working for the chief judge. W what was that experience like? It's a great experience. You know, I was out of law school and uh, it was pretty intense. And uh, what kind of stuff were you doing? For criminal cases. And were you writing, helping them write decisions, making uh, yeah, wrote the, rulings? wrote the decisions. Yeah. I mean, that's a very different skill set than being the mayor of of, uh, of a little t city. Training as a lawyer is a great thing to have in public service, but training as an accountant for me was even more important. Why? Because when you're an accountant, when you're an auditor, you have to ask questions and learn about a business from top to bottom. And you have to try and probe and figure out what people do and how they do it. And that was a great thing when I was mayor and county executive, and even in Congress, to figure out how things run, how they work, how to make things better than they were. Makes sense. And you can, and you can understand a budget. You know, you can understand, you can understand, you know, in accounting, you learn how to read a balance sheet and an income statement. That's a great skill to have as a chief executive or as a member of Congress. During your progression in life, did you ever do any internships or anything in the world of politics? You know, when you were in high school, college? No, I was, I was kind of a goofball through high school and college. And then it wasn't until I went to law school that, you uh, couldn't have been that much, uh, all kidding aside, you couldn't have been that much of a goofball in college because getting into Fordham Law School is no easy task. I was a goofball. But in, in law school, uh, I started getting much more serious, and uh, I was the uh, chairman of the Fordham Law School Democrats. My first guest speaker was Ted Sorensen, who was the speechwriter for John F. Kennedy. Oh, yeah. That was like a cool thing as a young kid to do. Well, he was a big deal. I had Ed Koch come and speak and David Dinkins come and speak in the year they were running against each other for mayor. And uh, it, was, you know, it was a good experience. And I also started the Fordham Law School Public Service Project, which is I was sleeping at a homeless shelter and working at a soup kitchen, you know, as a volunteer. I'd never done that kind of stuff before. And we had finals. You know, your first year of law school is a pretty intense, you know, finals. And you're like, Everybody's freaking out. Yes. And I had to go make the sandwiches at the soup kitchen. And I was like, I don't have time to go make the sandwiches at the soup kitchen. I said, but if I can get some people to do it with me, instead of taking two hours, I can get it done in like 15 minutes if I get a bunch of people. So I went around the library, and I was like, can you help me make the sandwiches at the, at the soup kitchen? Do you uh, remember where the soup kitchen was? Generally? Yeah, St. Paul's. St. Paul's Church. Right next to Fordham. Uh, by Lincoln Center. And so uh, 
so uh, everybody was like, are you crazy? We got finals. I don't have time to go make soup sandwiches of the soup. So I said, yeah, I have, don't have time either. But if we all do it, we can do it really quickly and get in and out in 15 minutes. So I got a bunch of people and we all went over and made the sandwiches. It'd be great. Ha ha. Big break. Came back to the library. The dean of the law school heard about this from somebody and he calls me into his office and he's like, you know, I'm thinking about making a public service project here at the school. We wanted to make it mandatory at first. I said, well, it wouldn't really be volunteer work if it was mandatory. He said, well, I'd like you to run it for me. Now, I had never run anything before. You know, I was a goofball before that. And So you're 22 years old? Something like that? Yeah, I don't know. It was, it was 87 or something. 88. Uh, so I was... No, 88. I was 26 years old. Okay. Yeah, because it was... Uh, I took two years off. Oh, right, right, right. Go. That's why I'm... Okay. So then uh, uh, I started the Fordham Law School Public Service Project where we... Got all different things people could volunteer for, like the homeless shelter, the soup kitchen, homebound elderly, bringing them food, you know, reading the kids, teaching kids how to read, holding crack babies at the hospital. That was the 80s. It was pretty intense. And uh, we made it easy. So if somebody wanted to volunteer, you could, you know, just tell us, do you want to do an hour? you want to do two hours? What do you want to do every, oh, once a week, once a month? What do you want to do? And then we would just put them in touch with the place, make it easy for people to volunteer. That's how I got to be friends with Paul D'Amelia. He was a year behind me at Fordham, and he and his buddy, oh, my gosh, I can't remember his name. Uh, they they ended up taking over the Fordham Law School Public Service Project for me afterwards. So how old are you now, Tom? 61 years old. Mm, okay, so tell us the lessons that you learned as a 26-year-old, basically being selfless in you know cutting time into your finals of first year law school which as you said is a pretty intense thing to go help people who you don't know total strangers and and setting up that project and helping others who needed some help how did that influence where you are today at 61 years old i think that uh, you know like i said before that i really hadn't done much you know and in law school i ran the the law school democrats and i did the public service project and i was put in charge of something which was a big deal and um my lesson from that is, you know, I'd always been like kind of idealistic and I thought about things and I thought about, oh, I want to do this. I want to do that. But that uh, you have to just go do it. You have to go do something. If you have a if you have a feeling that you want to accomplish something in any part of life, it doesn't have to just be, you know, public service stuff. Anything. Don't take it from the idea in your head and just go do it. And if it works out, great. And if it doesn't work out, OK, do the next thing. But don't don't uh, dawdle. Don't, uh, you know pontificate just go do and you can find out whether you're good at it or not make a difference so let's talk about doing so one block away from where we are right this second is the roosevelt hotel that is ground zero for the migrants and you know where we are right here i think it's a little more intense than where you are but you know you you're going to be covering queens and nassau county we got creedmoor right outside my district which is a big tent city they got okay so you're going to be one of, what, 435 Congress people. Now you have experience being there. You talk about bipartisanship. Bi- yeah, you know. Bipartisanship. Yeah, thank you. If Tom Swazi gets sworn into Congress shortly, do you think you have the clout, the personality, the gravitas to bring people together in a presidential election year to find some relief for what's going on with the migrants? Right, so this is a big, huge question. I mean, this is a big thing you're asking me. This is a, i gotta, I got to talk a lot here. Okay, so. that's, that's, what, that's what we're here for. Okay, so we haven't solved the, we have not solved the migrant crisis in our country. It's been a problem for 35 years. The last time we addressed immigration in America was when Ronald Reagan was the president. So since Ronald Reagan, we've had George Bush, we had Bill Clinton, we had George Bush the father, we had Obama, we had Trump. And we have not, everybody's talked about it. Nobody's done anything about it. I dealt with this as a problem. I was mayor of Glen Cove in 1994. Newcomers from Central and South America gathered on the street corners, many undocumented. And everybody talks about the crisis at the southern border, which is very real. It's a real crisis. It's a real issue. People are freaking out about it. It has to be addressed. But it's mainly a crisis of Washington, D.C., because they have failed to address this problem for such a long time. And the problem comes from, like all the problems we face in our country, which are all complicated. Anybody says, why don't you just, doesn't know what they're talking about. Everything is complicated. You can't solve a complicated problem with everybody yelling and screaming at each other. You got to try and find a compromise. It can't be my way or the highway, all the Republicans' idea, all the Democrats' idea. It's got to be a compromise between the two sides. So we need a bipartisan solution to the immigration crisis. Peter King and I wrote a, a bipartisan compromise to the immigration crisis in 2019. 
19. Uh, the, the New York Times published our op-ed piece. They called it the Grand Compromise. Right now, the Senate, in the United, right now as we speak, the United States Senate is negotiating a bipartisan compromise on the border. Democrats and Republicans. I know the guys who are doing it. Uh, James Lankford, a Republican from Oklahoma. Chris Murphy, a Democrat from Connecticut. I'm friendly with both of them. They're close to uh, releasing a deal. It may come out in the next day or two. The president has said, I'm willing to compromise. I'm willing to give. I will give you give me a bipartisan deal. I will sign it. And I will literally, he said this, I will shut the border down tomorrow because he doesn't have the authority to shut the border down now. But this bill will give him a lot of authority to shut things down. He said, I'll shut it down tomorrow. So everybody's like, wow, this is this is the best time in 35 years to finally resolve this because the president and the Democrats really want to resolve it. So they're willing to give a lot because, number one, it's a political problem. Number two, it's a government problem. A lot of people are suffering because of it. We're dealing with the problems here in New York, and I'll talk about New York specifically in a second. And number three, he wants to fund Ukraine and Israel. So this is part of the deal. So he's hard up to make a deal to get this thing done. Oh, so that bill has supposed to have all three things in it. Well, that was the pro- Ukraine, Israel. That's that, the ideal. That's what he proposed. That's what he proposed. Because the Republicans said, we're not going to do Ukraine. We're not going to do Israel unless you do the border. He said, okay, here's my proposal to do all three. It's time for a quick break. Don't go away. We'll be right back with Congressman Tom Swazi. Hi, it's Arthur Idala here to talk to you about Bay Ridge Honda, run by the fantastic Sabah family. The Sabah family that I have known since my dad walked in there in 1980 and bought a Honda Accord for my grandfather. My sister's gotten cars there. My brother-in-law has gotten cars there. And you know why? Because the Sabah family makes you feel like you're part of their family. Bay Ridge Honda has New Year's deals. You know, we all make New Year's resolutions. Quit smoking, get more sleep, drink less. How about a New Year's resolution of a new car? At Bay Ridge Honda, they have brand new 2024 Hondas under MSRP, and they're offering lease loyalty bonuses. Finance rates are available. No payments until March of 2024. Best prices around. They will offer you top dollar for your trade-in. So visit the Sabah family at Bay Ridge Honda, 4th Avenue and 88th Street in Brooklyn, New York, or online at BayRidgeHonda.com. 4th Avenue and 88th Street in Brooklyn, New York, or online at BayRidgeHonda.com. Urgent Camp Lejeune settlement message. On September 6th, the government announced it will soon begin providing fast, guaranteed settlements to Camp Lejeune Marines, families, and civilians. Awards will range between $100,000 and $550,000, with an option for higher amounts. If you or a loved one spent time at Camp Lejeune and suffered cancers of the bladder, liver, or kidneys, leukemia, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, Parkinson's, or kidney issues, you may qualify for compensation and could be paid within 60 days after accepting your settlement with your VA benefits fully protected. You may be entitled to a significant financial award for your Camp Lejeune claim, but you must act now. Call the James Harris Law Camp Lejeune helpline now to get the compensation you deserve. We're already fighting for thousands harmed by the water at Camp Lejeune. Call now or you may forever lose your right to be awarded a settlement between $100,000 and $550,000. For your free evaluation, call 800-299-7878. That's 800-299-7878. 800-299-7878. Remember when you were in your teens and you thought you were invincible? Well, the same rationale applies to adults, too. When we're feeling good, we think everything is okay, and we don't need a power of attorney, or we think we don't need a health care proxy. We think, ah, we'll worry about that when we're older or we become sick. Well, nothing can be further from the truth. The fact is, if something happens, you might not be able to designate a power of attorney or health care proxy. What happens then? Then the state or the courts may have to make those choices for you. Is that what you want? Of course not. It's essential to create a power of attorney and a health care proxy as soon as you can when you're healthy. Call Connors and Sullivan, attorneys at law. They really know this stuff. They've been doing it for 40 years. They will help you make a plan that protects you best. You'll designate who you want to make decisions for you. For a free in-person initial consultation with a lawyer, call 718-238-6500. That's 718-238-6500. Listen to AM 970 The Answer on Alexa. Tune in iHeart or Odyssey.com. I've got the world on a string. Welcome back to the Arthur Idala Power Hour. Today we have Congressman Tom Swazi. Let's continue. When you say, Congressman Swazi, when you say shut the border, it's not like there's a door, right, that you just close. Is it is that is that a realistic 
term, like shutting the border? Yeah. This bill proposes that if you have a certain number of people coming to a claim asylum per month, you can shut the border and say no more, nobody else can come in. So even if they're physically here, and so right now if they're physically here, however they got here, they ask for asylum, we got to keep them here. And what this bill would say is if they come here and... A certain number above 5,000, I think the number is. Okay. You, you, nobody else can pl- apply this month. That's the proposal. So, and you know, I don't know what, what the, happens to those humans. I mean, I know I'm asking you a, pres- a question I should be asking the president of the United States. I mean, the bottom line is, is that it's chaos right now. I mean, yes, uh, I, I, I don't think anyone is going to disagree. I mean, let me, let me, I, I mean, we've got an hour, we got an hour on your show, right? Yeah. We so I'm going to, I'm going to tell you my, the, my whole big long thing if I'm allowed to. Okay? Yes, absolutely. That's Peter King and I proposed uh, a solve to the immigration crisis with three components. Secure the border. First of all, wait, wait, before you go. Just for anyone who doesn't know, Peter King is a, a storied, legendary congressman who's a Republican. Big Republican. And a big, huge Republican, and who never had any chinks in his armor, a very well-respected man, and you are a Democrat. Right. So, so but, but he, but I get along with him. We worked on a lot of things together, and he's not supporting me because he's a Republican and I'm a Democrat, but we did a lot of work together in Congress on the state and local tax deduction, on immigration, on guns, on a whole bunch of, a whole bunch of stuff. So... Our proposal was three elements. Secure the border, treat people like human beings, pay for it. So we have these kids called the Dreamers, okay? They're not even kids anymore. They came here, they were little babies. They learned the Pledge of Allegiance in our schools. They learned the Star Spangled Banner. They learned their, you know, reading, writing, and arithmetic. And they graduated from high school. And now they're either in college, they have a full-time job, or they join the U.S. military. The idea is we're not going to send these people back to the country they came from. That would be absurd. They don't even know anybody. They came as a little kid. Let's give them a pathway to citizenship. And Peter King agreed. People that are TPS recipients, people we invited to America. There was an earthquake. There was a war. There was gang, whatever. You can come to America for relief. We invited them here. Altogether, it's like two point something million dollars, uh, two point something million people. And then another few million people, we want to give them a pathway to legalization, not citizenship. Can't vote or anything like that. But we want you paying Social Security taxes. We want you to get a driver's license. We want you to pay for your insurance. Let's give you a pathway to legalization. Five million people. Those five million people have to, among other things, pay a $2,000 fee. Five million times $2,000 is $10 billion. With that $10 billion, we'll give half to the Republicans. We'll give half to the Democrats. You want to build a wall? Go build a wall. Whatever you want to spend your $5 billion on, you go spend it the way you want. They want to build a wall. At least that's what it was at the time. The Democrats... We want to have more immigration judges so we can process these cases more quickly and make a decision who comes in, who gets sent away. Instead of it languishing for three years, let's decide right there on the border what's going on. Let's get more radar. Let's invest in El Salvador, Guatemala, and Honduras because that's where most of the people were coming from. And those lives, people's lives there are miserable. So let's figure out how they can clean up those countries a little bit. Compromise. Secure border. Treat people like human beings. Pay for it. Now, I've been to the border three times. There's like a dozen crossings that you can go. There's facilities that were built in the 1950s. They're dilapidated facilities. And they can only process 40 or 50 people a day. What are the, like I was going to say, what are the purposes of those facilities? That's for people. To, if you want to come across the border, you want to come into America, you go into these facilities. And this is where you do your interview and stuff like that. And then what happens? So they go in, they get their interview. And, and like now where do they go? They walk out of this facility and like where do they it go? It depends on what. If they're properly processed, right. what they eighty percent of the people who are properly processed get sent back. Twenty percent get let in. But because the system is so overwhelmed and you can't process, we don't have enough immigration judges to resolve the cases. We don't have enough people doing the paperwork to resolve the cases. A bunch of people are brought in and their cases are delayed for two, three, four years. That's what's why the system's broken. And that's why everybody's coming. Why do these people try and cross the river instead of going through the, you know, everybody's allowed to apply for asylum in America. You're allowed to apply for asylum. The problem is, is the coyotes, the people, the organized crime network that's making billions of dollars a year who get paid seven to $10,000 a person are saying, okay, when you go across, this is what you say. Tell them these few catchwords so that they have to let you in. And it's all, you know, a lot of lies. It's got to do with being, and, uh, being prejudiced against for being gay or religious. I'm being persecuted by somebody right, in, right. My, in my country. Something's happening in my country that they're after the government's yeah. after me, whatever it may be, that they say that they're eligible to come in. Right. So another idea was not part of my bipartisan idea with Peter King, but my own idea is we should build an Ellis Island on the southern border. We should build a, a, a processing facility on the southern border. Everybody's got to go through a door. Nobody, no, no crossing the river. Do you want asylum or you don't want Whatever to- you want. If you want to do it, you got to go through a door. 
No, you're not only eligible to go with these other ways. We're going to do everything we can to stop you from coming in these other ways. It's not an easy thing to do, but if you build a facility, people will want to go through the right process because when you get inside the facility, we'll check your health, we'll do a background check, and a judge will pro- process your case, and we will decide whether or not you're eligible to come in or not. But have an orderly process. And so what will happen what's is- What's going on with this bill? So the bill is in the Senate- they they have a deal, supposedly. They're just writing up the language. They're going to release it this week. They're hopefully going to debate it on the Senate floor. The president said, I'll make concessions. But the House Speaker is saying, I don't care what you send us. It's dead on arrival. Why? Because President Trump has said, former President Trump has said, I don't want a deal because I don't want to give Biden a victory. And how does Congressman Swazi feel about I feel the same way the President Trump doing it. I feel the same way as Mitt Romney, what he said the other day. He said it's appalling. We, everybody's saying we want, to, we want to solve the crisis of the border. We want to solve the crisis of the border. We want to solve the crisis of the border. But now we got a chance to actually solve the crisis of the border. And for political purposes, you're trying to queer the deal. Okay, but, but all right. You're in a race right now. And, I mean, isn't that what politicians do? I mean, don't they look for any advantage that they could possibly get? I mean, yeah, but, the, but the this le- is- legend has it. That the um, the Iranian hostages mm-hmm. back during the Carter and Reagan administration that that deal was was kind of in the works. The October surprise, want, right? They, but they didn't want to announce it until <clears throat> the election so that Reagan would win and Carter would lose. So yep. I don't that's think it's true. Ab- it's absolutely unprecedented. That yeah, but it's wrong. I mean, that's our okay. countries. Our countries. Uh, in trouble right now and everybody's spending all their time just pointing fingers and attacking each other instead of actually solving the problem and the big difference between the Iranian situation and uh, the Iranian hostages where literally uh, then former CIA director and Republican chairman who became the vice president George Bush went over to Europe and met with some of the mullahs from Iran to cut that deal that's the story Not only is Swazi an accountant and a lawyer, he's a historian. (laughs) But unlike that deal, Trump's saying this right out out loud. Don't make the deal because I don't want to give Biden the victory. Then he's saying it's better to do no deal than a bad deal. Let's say it's a bad deal. If you become the president of the United States of America, you can do another deal. You were in office before as president. You know how hard it is to get a deal done. You're going to have the Mexicans pay for the wall. You're going to do this. You're going to do that. You didn't do any of it. So it's people are sick and tired of politicians just attacking each other and not solving the problems. I, I, no, and anyone who agrees with you, disagrees with you is out, out there. But Joe Biden ran on the platform that you just said, like, let's all get along and let's lower the, you know, this is after Trump being there for four years, let's lower he the did temperature, a, let's lower the, the, the he partisan did a, fighting, and it hasn't really happened. No. He is did it a, because it's he, impossible? No, he did a lot of big bipartisan deals his first two years in office. I was in Congress. I was part of those deals. The infrastructure deal was the first bipartisan infrastructure Tell deal in 40 years. Tell the watches what? The infrastructure deal. So for years, America has had a problem with our roads and our bridges and our airports and our seaports and our sewer and our water and all this old infrastructure, our, our, our mass transit, the tunnel, the gateway project into into uh, across the Hudson into uh, from New Jersey into Manhattan. We've got all these old dilapidated infrastructures and we hadn't invested in them. All the engineers would do reports every year about how bad the grades were on our bridges, for example. We cut a deal that's the biggest infrastructure deal in the history of America, bipartisan. My group that I was involved with, the Problem Solvers Caucus, 25 Democrats, 25 Republicans meeting together to try and find common ground every single week, negotiated the framework for that bipartisan infrastructure deal. And it passed with Republican and Democratic votes. And it's not only going to be great for the economy and for the infrastructure, it's going to create an enormous amount of jobs as well for the next 10 years. It's a it's a great piece of legislation. And, and Biden helped to ram that through. Same thing with the CHIPS Act, major change in industrial policy in America, which is to invest in building semiconductors here in the United States of America. Well, why is the government subsidizing the 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 building of semiconductors here in the United States of America? Because we saw during COVID that if China decides to su- shut off the supply chain, we're screwed. So we have to have certain industries that we have our own supply chain and the major one we need to do is semiconductors because it's the future of the country and the world what was the name of the caucus you just said that had 25 democrats and 25 uh, the problem solvers caucus now i was the vice chairman 
Why do you think out of 435, there's only 50 people in there? Because I mean, shouldn't that be the, th- the in an most world? Shouldn't mm. it be everyone on both sides of the aisle? Uh, well, I'm gonna if I get back to Congress, I'm gonna ask to, that we actually create an entity that's a bipartisan uh, committee that's job is to promote bipartisanship. I'm gonna ask to be made the chairman of it, uh, and uh, the Republicans have to, would have to agree to. John F. Kennedy wrote a book called Profiles in Courage when he ran for president. Yes, he did. The country had been 175 years old by then. There's like 10 guys in the book, okay? Courage is not a thing that's a lot of in politics, unfortunately. And there are 435 seats in the House of Representatives. Of those 435 seats, 380 of them are safe seats. You can't lose. You can't lose because they're gerrymandered. They're drawn a certain way. You have the advantage of incumbency and money raising and things like that. 190 Republican, 190 Democratic, not exact, but about on each side. If you can't lose... Republicans are going to win the Republican seat. Democrats are going to win the Democratic seat. You don't listen to the people. You don't feel the pressure from the people. Should there be term limits in Congress? No. I think that what you have to do is have... Let me, let me finish the, the story. So the only way you can lose is by losing a primary. Who votes in a primary? Very few people vote in the primary, and they're usually much more extreme than the general public. Far right for the Republicans, far left for the Democrats. So the politicians pander to their base. They just worry about the base, the base, the base, the base, the base. That's what's pulling our country apart is people pandering to the base. Then you add social media. Who are the most popular people on social media? People say the most extreme things. That, again, incentivizes people going out to the edges instead of doing the stuff in the middle with normal people want. Then you have Fox News and MSNBC, cable news. They're just pandering to their group. Okay, it's the bottom of the hour. We have to wrap up this segment. We'll be right back with Congressman Tom Swazi. Oil investments involve a high degree of risk and actual results may vary. Oil and natural gas keep going up as the Russia conflict escalates. Get in on the next major oil boom now and help the U.S. with your patriotic investment that can potentially pay you monthly income for up to 20 or more years. That's the sound of a producing oil well and the sound of a smart investment. If you're an SEC-accredited investor and have at least 25000 liquid now, you can take advantage of Encore Energy's projects and a huge tax savings for this year. If you invest in oil and natural gas, you're allowed to write off nearly 100% of your investment in the first year. Goldman Sachs is projecting oil to go up to $100 a barrel, and natural gas is the fuel of the future and trading at record prices. Call 800-287-6691. Encore Energy is a major your investor and experienced operator in its core area of operations. Call now and learn how to deduct 100% of your investment and create 20 or more years of potential monthly income. Call 800-287-6691. That's 800-287-6691. Hi, it's Arthur Idala. When you're looking for concrete materials for your next construction project, call on the experts of Diamondback Ready Mix, New York and New Jersey's number one premier family-owned concrete supplier, proudly located on Staten Island, providing concrete services for commercial, municipal, and residential general contractors throughout New York City and New Jersey. The Diamondback Ready Mix Quality is Our Strength service will guide each customer from the initial order through the final pouring, fully insured in New York and New Jersey, and will produce your concrete with the perfect blend of durability strength and appearance for your project take it from arthur idala call today and ask for harry lynch for personalized service second to none call 718-650-5649 for your free estimate that's 718-650-5649 or go online to diamondback ready mix that's r-e-d-i-m-i-x.com diamondback ready mix is the defazio industries company Hi, this is Judge Kamins, a partner at Idala Bertuna and Kamins, and where Arthur Idala of the Arthur Idala Power Hour works at his 24-7 day job. In 2014, I retired from the bench to join ABK, which is a full-service preeminent boutique firm that has been helping New Yorkers when legal problems arise. ABK is uniquely qualified to assist New Yorkers who have a wide range of legal problems, from personal injury claims and civil litigation to criminal defense and trusts and estates. I personally work on appellate matters, attorney disciplinary matters, and complex legal issues with a dedicated group of attorneys who provide a team approach to each case. There is no legal problem too big or small for this talented and hardworking legal team. So when you think of the Idala Power Hour, also keep in mind ABK, the power legal firm. 
Hi, it's Arthur Idala. It's a new year and time for new resolutions. I'm sure you've already made yours. Going to the gym, spending more time with family, you know how it goes. But is there someone in your life that should really make a resolution for an upgrade to a new career? Why not tell them about court reporting? It's a career with tremendous opportunity and flexibility. They can work in courts. They can work in schools. They can even work from home. They work as much or as little as they want, and their earning potential is fantastic. The National Court Reporters Association says there are 5,000 openings for court reporters and not enough reporters to fill them. The NCRA is offering this free program called A to Z where participants are introduced to stenography and court reporting and sessions are being hosted right here in New York City. Plaza College in Forest Hills, Queens is the only school in the city with a court reporting program. So sign up today by emailing info at plazacollege.edu. That's info at plaza, P-L-A-Z-A, college.edu. Listen to us online at am970theanswer.com. Tune in, iHeart, Alexa, or odyssey.com. Welcome back to the Arthur Idala Power Hour with lifetime New Yorker, attorney Arthur Idala, making the case for the city he loves. Here's Arthur. There is freedom within. Welcome back to the Arthur Idala Power Hour. This is Arthur Idala. We're going to continue our interview with Congressman Tom Swazi. You believe that America is a centrist nation? Yes, no question about it. Okay, so do you believe the primary system is broken? Or it's, it's primary has- system is totally broken. We need mandatory voting. We need people to be, if everybody voted, we'd be a much more moderate country. They have mandatory voting in Australia. Or something that incentivizes everybody to vote. Why do we vote on Tuesdays, for example? Why Tuesdays? You know, why don't we vote on Saturday and Sunday? Why can't you vote for two, over two days? Well, I mean, they've, now you could vote a lot. But there's a lot of data. Well, that's now. people trying to start to address that, yes. So okay. the problem is, is very few people vote. And the people that do vote are the ones that are most hyped up about the issues. So the far left in America is like 8% of America. They're younger. They're more secular. They're ashamed of America's past. The far right is they hate everybody. This one group is no good, and that group is no good, and I'm against this, and I'm against them, and, you know, this very extreme. Then you have traditional progressives and liberals. You have traditional conservatives. Then you have 52% of the people in the middle, the politically disengaged and the politically disenchanted. The whole thing stinks. I can't stand it. It's all no good. It's a rigged system. It's all broken. Like you said before, it's like, doesn't everybody try and do political advantage? Well, they just try and, you know, get what they can to win? That's what's killing our country. So we need a bipartisan fix on the border. You want to you fix the border? Fix the border. Let's fix it. Let's do it. We got a chance, best chance in 35 years. Let's do it. And Trump says, I don't want to do it because I, want, I don't want to give Biden a victory. Okay, let him do it now. And then if you become president, then you can fix it even better. On this topic, were you talking about primaries and the fringes? Is that how we wind up with Biden and Trump? I mean, uh-huh. we... They're absolutely. They were brilliant leaders. Absolutely, because you have to win a primary. And you have to get the activists, and the activists are more at the edge. Now you could say that about Trump and his in, in the Republican uh, primary, but when Biden ran the last time, <clears throat> he was the most guy who was the most, I think, conservative of. That's an the- excellent point, and the only reason he could do it is because he had been around for 40-something years, and he was the vice president of the United States of America to Barack Obama. And you remember he won in South Carolina. That's how he won. He got a lot of African-American votes in South Carolina. And he was seen as being, I was the one of the first people to endorse him when he first ran in that party because I didn't want Bernie Sanders, and I didn't want Elizabeth Warren, and I didn't want the other far-left people. I wanted Biden because I saw him as being like us, you know, so more of a moderate, let's, moderate guy. Let's talk about, on the same topic, let's talk about New York State. You ran for governor, and I got killed. And you hold the same position you held now, which is you're basically a centrist kind of guy. And I can't win a primary. I got killed in the primary. That's why. That's what happened. And is that because the people who come out and vote in the primary is they're the the activists? So they look at Jamani Williams as like, oh yeah, that's our guy. And they look at Tom Swazi, who's a lawyer, accountant, uh, a mayor, a congressman, and like, no, no, we don't want that guy. Is too moderate. Too moderate. You're too moderate. So. So the bottom line is, is now the exciting thing is, is that now the Democrats have encouraged me to run for this seat. That's a big deal because I haven't changed my position. But they realize that to win the seat, they need a guy who's got a message like my message. Well, let's talk about your district. But it's it is. I mean, all of all of Long Island, Nassau, and Suffolk is all Republican elected officials. Every, when I first became the, the Nassau DAs and everybody. When I first became the Nassau County Executive, Nassau County. Oh, yeah. 2000, I ran in 2001 and became the county executive in 2002. I was, was my, my, you, my primary was... The, the Napoli? Yeah. Okay. The primary was first on September 11th, 2000, 2001. Gotcha. 
And then uh, I got elected, I took office in 2002. I was the first Democrat with the Democratic legislature since 1917. Strongest Republican machine in the country. So we took the wind out of their sails for 10 or 15 years, and now they're back to full strength. They run everything. They have every town. They have every county position, as you pointed out. They've got it all. And they have troops in the street every weekend. they got 400 people, 500 people that work for the town of Oyster Bay, the town of North Hempstead, the town of Hempstead, the county of Nassau. So why do you think you could you have a chance to win when they, every, everything, everyone around you is based Basically, in terms of politics, the enemy and you're so I have a democratic registration advantage, and I believe that my message of being a person who works across party lines to get things done, and because people know me, uh, that I will win this race because I'm saying what the people want. What the people want in a, in this type of election, as opposed to a primary, is people to work together to solve problems to make the world a better place to live in, and that's what I'm offering. But now, let me just say that they're running commercials against me, beating the you know what out of me. And they're saying Swazi. They're commercials too. I was listening to the radio today, and I heard a little Swazi, pro Swazi commercial. Pro Swazi is good. So, so they're running commercials saying Swazi's a, a member of the squad. Now that's absurd. I'm that like, is, as, yeah, I'm like yeah, the yeah. furthest thing from the squad you could possibly absurd. imagine. Yeah. But that's what they're saying, and that's what they're being. They're saying Swazi. They have a clip of me from 2007, or from last, or two the governor's race, talking about 2007 that I kicked ice out of Nassau County. Okay, let me let me tell your your listeners what that's about. 2007. I was a Nassau County executive, reducing the crime rate to the one of the lowest crime rates, the lowest crime rate in the United States of America for any community over 500,000 people. Very pro-law enforcement. ICE came in, didn't coordinate with our police department. People from all over the country bringing heavy equipment, bringing, you know, shotguns and wearing cowboy hats. The, and the ICE guys. The ICE guys. Did they literally wear cowboy hats? I don't know. Not everybody, but one, <clears throat> one or two guys had cowboy hats on. Okay. They had 96 warrants. 90 of the warrants had the wrong address. They broke down the doors of people's houses. They scared the hell out of families and children, breaking down the doors, saying, you know, we're here to come to get you. They had pictures of people. They had a picture of a guy who was seven, when he was seven years old. He was now like 20-something years old that they're trying to find. So my, And they pulled their guns on two occasions on Nassau County police officers. My police commissioner says, Mr. County Executive, we, we can't work with these guys. These these guys are a bunch of cowboys. They, 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 they're not properly trained. They're not coordinating with us. We got we can't let them in here. So I wrote a letter to Michael Chertoff, if you remember that name, Absolutely. who was the Secretary of Homeland Security at the time, said, these guys cannot, we will not work with these guys. So that was 2007. We worked with the FBI. We worked with other federal agencies to go after gangs and things like that. But I was in a debate for governor, and I forget I don't even what the issue was, but I said, I kicked ice out of Nassau County. So now they're running a commercial trying to say that I'm soft on uh, illegal immigration and gangs, and things, which is a bunch of BS. So, uh, you know, I in 2018, when I was in Congress, I've got a commercial out there now where I'm on Fox News, where the Fox News anchor is praising me because I was one of only 18 Democrats in the entire Congress, one of only 18 Democrats out of 200-something Democrats that voted in favor of ICE and supporting ICE. So it's, you know, and then I, the year after that, I voted to fund the border security with only like half the Democrats voted for that. So it's just, it's, it's. Let's talk about something that I know you were involved in. And I would hope if you get reelected, you'll be involved in again. And, you know, April 15th is right around the corner. Stay in local tax deduction. Got to get it out of here, Congressman. Come okay. On. First so, of all, explain what that is so people understand. So when America first started the federal income tax in like the night, the uh, Abraham Lincoln tried to do it at first, but they declared it unconstitutional. But then they passed the law in the 20s, and they said, we want to start collecting taxes at the federal level. All the governors and the mayors said, well, if you collect taxes at the federal level, you're going to mess us up at the state and local level because we want to collect taxes. They said, don't worry about it. We're going to do a state and local tax deduction. You can take the property taxes and the income taxes you pay, and you can deduct it from your income so you won't get taxed on the taxes you've already paid. Had that for 100 years. Lo and behold, Trump comes in, uh, Republicans control the Congress, they ram through a tax bill, and as part of that tax bill, they said, we're going to cap your state and local tax deduction at $10,000. And people in New York and, and said, that's going to kill us in New York, that's terrible. Trump says, I don't care, I'm not going to win New York anyway, I'm not going to win California anyway, I'm not going to win Illinois or Massachusetts anyway, because those are the higher tax states, I'm not going to win them anyway, I don't care if that hurts you. So when the Democrats came in the majority, I was on Ways and Means now, I passed a bill three times to restore the state and local tax deduction, but I couldn't get it through the Senate. I 
passed it through the House. I did my job, but I couldn't get it through the Senate, and therefore it didn't go to the president's desk. I got all these Republicans now out on Long Island, because they run everything now, they're saying, well, we're in favor of the state and local tax deduction, too. Just like Swazi. But Swazi didn't, never got it done. So, well, how come you haven't passed it through the House yet? You got the majority in the House. Why can't you pass the state and local tax deduction? Because the Republicans won't do it. I built a coalition when I was in, in office between Democrats and a few Republicans, and I got governors and mayors and other groups to support me to pass the state and local tax deduction. They haven't gotten to first base. Now, this is in the weeds a little bit, but right now there's a tax bill that just passed out of the Ways and Means Committee. And the Ways and Means Committee uh, has a bill that says we're going to do a bunch of business taxes fix, and it, the, the Republicans want, and the Democrats are saying, and we want to do a child tax credit. So they made a deal. They said, okay, we're going to do it. it was, the vote was like 40 to 3 in favor of it. Only three people didn't vote for it. Now it's supposed to go to the floor. The New York Republicans are saying, but you're not doing salt. You're not doing salt. You're not doing salt. This is when they have to show their muscle. you got to tell these guys, I'm not voting for it unless you give me what I want. And you have to build a coalition. It can't just be you talking. you got to build a coalition so you can take the bill down and stop the bill from succeeding because you stopped it from happening. But they're not going to do it. I can guarantee you that. So my opponent in this race is Mazzy Pillip. Okay? Uh, that, like, no one has heard her name because she's, correct me if I'm wrong, you've invited her and other organizations have invited her to debate you, to go to town halls with you, to go to community events. She won't you. do anything public. She won't do any debate. She didn't do the New York One debate. She didn't do the WABC debate. She didn't do the PIX11 debate. She didn't do the NBC debate. She's agreed to one debate five days before the election on Channel 12, won't even show up in Queens, five days after early voting has started because she's relying and she won't, she won't tell specific positions on issues and she won't even do interviews with with reporters unless it's like, you know, Fox or Newsmax. So she, I don't know how in the post-George Santos world you can run for the same seat and not tell people what you stand for. She won't even say who she voted for for, for president. Well, she's just standing for the R, right? The Republican. She just wants... If, if, and she's registered as a Democrat. I know. If, if John Doe was on the Republican line, she's just hoping that John Doe would... I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. There's a certain amount of fixed percentage, yeah. right, on the Democrats. And she's counting party. on the machine. They got a vaunted machine in Nassau County to bring out so, the vote. So there was a much to do, like, I think it was this weekend, that you're only up by 3%, and you have much, so much more name recognition, you have so much more experience. The what Democratic Swazi have to say about that? The Democratic brand stinks. People are upset about the crime in New York City. I ran to address the crime in New York City when I ran for governor. And I think things are getting better now, in part because of what I said during my campaign, as well as Zeldin during his campaign, to try and address things to be more moderated in New York. You know, the, you see the, the mayor facing this major problem right now that he vetoed that bill. God forbid they overturn his veto. So crime, the, the Democrats got a bad brand. I got a good brand on crime. I, I fought crime. I fought pro-law enforcement my whole life. Got a bad brand on immigration because we've got this immigration crisis going on. I just explained the whole thing while we can make a deal right now. I sent a letter to the president and to Speaker Johnson and to Hakeem Jeffries in early January saying what they should do to fix th- to fix this. And I think, that, and I also said to the New York Times in August, the first time I talked to the press since Santos was in office, the president should do what Bill Clinton did. Propose a moderate bipartisan solution. If the Republicans go along with it, we can move the country forward. If they don't go along with it, you can say, ah, oh, you're just trying to politicize the issue. That's exactly what's happening right now. What's your relationship with Hakeem Jeffries, the minority leader? Very, very good. Excellent. He's the one that encouraged me to run. So, he, And he's the one that knows that I am the po- type of politician that I am. Don't go anywhere. We still have some more to talk about with Congressman Tom Swazi. I want to tell you guys about Relief Factor. Let's talk uh, about a testimony that I was reading earlier. Uh, Leah from Ohio. She says, one Sunday... Leah was sitting on the couch and in so much pain that she literally was in tears. That's when she decided to try relief factor in just eight days. She found relief and she continued to get better and better. She said in her quote, I truly am amazed at this product. Anyway, I want you guys to go and give relief factor. Try get started with the three week quick start for the low price discounted price of 1995. And I'm telling you guys, it's worth the money. If you are in pain, your back hurt, your neck hurt, you got inflammation overtaking you, taking over your life, $19 to fix it is a no-brainer. Go to relieffactor.com or call the number 1-800-4-RELIEF. That's 1-800-4-RELIEF. Hi, it's Arthur Idala here to talk to you about Bay Ridge Honda, run by the fantastic Sabah family. The Sabah family that I have known since my dad walked in there in 1980 and bought a Honda Accord for my grandfather. 
My sister's gotten cars there. My brother-in-law's gotten cars there. And you know why? Because the Sabah family makes you feel like you're part of their family. Bay Ridge Honda has New Year's deals. You know, we all make New Year's resolutions. Quit smoking, get more sleep, drink less. How about a New Year's resolution of a new car? At Bay Ridge Honda, they have brand new 2024 Hondas under MSRP, and they're offering lease loyalty bonuses. Finance rates are available. No payments until March of 2024. Best prices around. They will offer you top dollar for your trade-in. So visit the Sabah family at Bay Ridge Honda, 4th Avenue and 88th Street in Brooklyn, New York, or online at BayRidgeHonda.com. 4th Avenue and 88th Street in Brooklyn, New York, or online at BayRidgeHonda.com. The Joe Piscopo Show. Mornings, 6 to 10, on AM 970. The Answer. All right, we have a few more minutes left. Let's continue with Congressman Tom Swazi. When is Election Day? Election Day is February 13th. Early voting starts on February 3rd through February 11th. Uh, and this turnout's going to be the whole race. It's all going to be about, you know, who shows up to vote. I'll win this race if people show up. You know, we do have a mutual friend who you mentioned earlier, Paul D'Amelia. And, and to be transparent, when I asked him, uh, you know, give me a question to ask Congressman Swazi, he said, half joking, but half serious, because I understand where he's coming from because of the state of affairs of politics across the board. You know, you have so much going on for you, and I'm not saying that because you're here. I mean, it's not too many people I know who are accountants, who are lawyers, who are former, all of these positions that you held. You could be in the private sector, and you can, you're a family man. You could, be, you could be doing a lot of good in the private sector, doing other things. You've done the Congress thing. Why, why is Tom Swazi going back to Congress? Why do you want to go back to Congress? I've devoted my life to public service, and I believe in it. I believe in politics. I believe in public service. I, I like it. I'm good at it. I believe I have a unique set of skills. I feel like our country's in a lot of trouble, and I've got a set of skills and opportunity to make a difference to try and fix it. And uh, I like it a lot. And you know, I can understand you saying that if you were running for Nassau County Executive or Governor. But people who I speak to in the legislature say that, you know, they're just frustrated because they can't really accomplish that. But I've got this unique opportunity that the party's recruiting me to run for the first time in my career. I've never been supported by the party ever. And they're recruiting me to run. And, and I, if I, get, if I so win. So you ran for mayor of Glen Cove? You know, there was no party. I had to, <laughs> I had to, I had to create it my, myself. So if I win this race. I get to give a speech on the floor of the Congress because I get sworn in in front of all my colleagues. You know, usually when you get sworn in, everybody gets sworn in together. So nobody gives a speech except the, the speaker. So I'll get sworn in by myself. I, now, I've given 50 speeches on the floor of the Congress, but it's with like 10 people there and you're on C-SPAN. This will be with like three or 400 members of Congress in the room. And if I get to give that speech, you know what I'm going to say? Tell me. Wake up. People are sick of this BS. They've had it. They, they want us to get stuff done. They want us to work together. It's sick of the, the finger pointing and the petty partisanship. That, that it's, it's over. And I won my race on a message of working together. And I know most of you in this room. And while I can't negotiate with, you know, uh, 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 Lauren Boebert or Mar Marjorie Taylor Greene or Matt Gates or on my side, Ilhan Omar and Rashida Tlaib and AOC, I can't negotiate with them. Most of you want to try and get things done. And make the world a better place to live in. That's why you did this crazy life in the first place. So let's do it. And I believe that I've built so many relationships over the years. And I've got to have this unique platform because of this campaign. Everybody's paying attention that I can actually make a difference. So I have a couple of minutes left. Some callers um, gave me some questions to um, ask you. So I am going to ask you, um, what would you say in your particular district, District 3, <clears throat> what's the first goal that you need to accomplish to help your particular constituents? They want us to fix the immigration crisis. They want us to get the state and local tax deduction because affordability is a major problem, and we need the state and local tax deduction in order to address that. And then I'll continue to do a bunch of environmental stuff because that's always been a big thing for me. Look, as another question. Looking back at your time in Congress in the past, what regrets do you have for when you were there last time and that you would do differently this time? I don't really have a lot of regrets about any part of my life. Uh, I've had a lot of ups and downs along the way, but I don't regret the decisions I made. But what I, I would do different is I would have a dinner every week with smart members of Congress to sit down around a table and talk about the big issues. Okay, our country's in a lot of trouble, and our kids are in a lot of trouble, 
and we're not taking a deep breath and thinking about what do we have to do about social media and how it's affecting our kids? What are we supposed to do about the fact that we're so divided? What are we going to do about the fact that Russia and, and, and the Chinese Communist Party in Iran are manipulating us through our social media uh, and our diversity and trying to get us to all hate each other? We've got to think about some well, of these... Let's, bi- let's touch on hate before we have to go. Talk to me about Israel and what's going on in Israel and your thoughts about that. So I am unequivocally pro-Israel. Uh, I've, I've supported Israel in every single way, unconditionally. Uh, the Republicans, uh, you know, want to condition aid to Israel on cutting the IRS. I mean, that's absurd. Or they want to make it part of the border deal. It should be unconditional aid to Israel. I went to Israel in December. I came back on Christmas Eve. I visited uh, Kafar Aza, which is in the Gaza envelope, where all these people were murdered at a kibbutz. Uh, I, m- I met with the spokesperson for the for the IDF. How did that affect you? Oh, it's awful. It was, it was devastating. I can't get the, some of the images out of my head, seeing the, the pools of blood in the soil, going to the house to house and seeing people were killed here and they found human remains here. And I can't get the image of the fact that they killed this woman who was paralyzed in a wheelchair and her daughter. I mean, why? And so, I mean, the big takeaway from the trip, and in addition to the fact that the Israelis are very united, they actually love Bill, uh, Joe Biden in Israel because he went there during wartime. They love them there. Not, they love them more there than they do here in America. And the big takeaway is that Hamas is not some loose confederation of desert soldiers. They are a sophisticated, disciplined terror army that has a mission to destroy Israel and kill Jews. That is their mission, and they have to be stopped. They, we cannot equivocate in any way. And there's some very sophisticated deals going on right now to try and get the Sunni Arabs, Saudi Arabia and other countries, Qatar and those places, to make a deal with the West with the, Euro- the European NATO and with Israel against Iran for a post-Israel-Gaza war that could have rebuild a Palestinian uh, future. Well, speaking of wars, I noticed on your lapel here today you're wearing a little lapel pin that has the World Trade Center, the, the original two twin towers with an American flag. There's a lot of lapel pins you could wear, Congressman. What, what made you wear that one? My dad gave me this pin after uh, 9-11. I was uh, the mayor of Glen Cove at the time. I was uh, running for county executive on September 11th, 2001. The, the race was postponed. I lost some friends like everybody else did and uh, actually commandeered the ferry from Glen Cove and evacuated people from, from the city that day. Uh, did a lot of stuff during that time. It's just, it's just a, I, I just always struck, my dad, struck me how my dad treated 9-11 like I think America treated Pearl Harbor. And we kind of all came together as a country in a very patriotic way that we were not going to stand for Well, that. we could use a little bit of that feeling here in the country now. Congressman Tom Swazi, February 13th. Ready? Yeah, I'm ready to go. You ready? I just Listen, if people hear me today and they like what I'm saying, they got to tell their friends and tell their neighbors and make sure they vote. If they hear me today and say, I don't like Swazi, I never liked Swazi, I just wanted to hear Arthur's show, I don't like Swazi, then just keep it to yourself. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Congressman Swazi, before I let you go, if people want to learn more about you, hear more about your platform, or maybe even make a donation or volunteer your campaign, where do they go? SwaziforCongress.com. How do you spell that? Swazi, S-U-O-Z-Z-I, Swazi, a Democratic guy. <laughs> oh, there we go. All right. Well, we wish you the best of luck. Uh, go get him, Congressman. Thank you, buddy. The Arthur Idala Power Hour is sponsored by Idala Bertuna and Cammons, PC. Portions of the Arthur Idala Power Hour, sponsored by Bay Ridge Honda. Three star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to, he understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.